right, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good? All right, good. Good to have you here. Uh, my name is Nate, and I'm one of the pastors here at Great Oaks, and so glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, if you're new with us in the room or join us online, thanks uh, for spending an hour or so with us this morning. And um, I do get the opportunity to talk about the wedding feast and the parable um, in uh, Matthew chapter 22. But before we get there, um, I just thought maybe for some of you uh, that have been married, or maybe some of you are getting married, or maybe some of you that hope to get married, um, I was I was just I just kind of want to get a little a little poll from you today. Not poll. I just want to ask some questions. Like when you go to a wedding, right? What do you think of? Uh, what comes to mind uh, when you go to a wedding? Just throw out some ideas. You can talk this morning. Anything? Who what? Food. Got food. We got food. All right, we got food. What else? What else is at a wedding? Huh? Rings? Is that what you said? Make sure I got it. Okay, yeah, we got rings. We got rings. We have the commitment, right? What else do we have at the wedding? Kissing? <laughs> yes, we do. Hopefully. It's a bad wedding. It was not, right? So <laughs> they must not love each other. All right, what else we got? Huh? Christ? We do. You're right. What? Dancing, right? We got dancing. What else back there? Free beer. Free beer. <laughs> uh, if, uh, I don't know about that one, but maybe. <laughs> Depends who's shucking the bill, right? So, I mean, <laughs> in first service, that was uh, tied to, well, not to beer, but tied to money. So that was right. All your dads have daughters, money, right? Right? All your dads have, have daughters, it costs a lot of money. Huh? Decorations, flowers, all that good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. And, and, I, and that's kind of what I want to get to, right? When we think of weddings, we think of some of those things, right? Rings, bills, uh, dresses, tuxedos, right? Um, all the garland, the flowers, the pretty things. But what I think we most enjoy about a wedding is reception, right? We enjoy the party. We enjoy the time that we get to celebrate that couple. The vows that they're making to each other, their families, right? We usually uh, you know, ask other family members from far away to come in to town. If they can, we ask them to celebrate the day with us, right? I know at our wedding, Kaylee, um, she loves to dance, and so I couldn't get her off the dance floor, right, that night. She wanted to dance all night long, right? And so it was one of those things where we just had a good time. We, we did one of those, like, real special dances where we went from a waltz into, like, a bugle boy, right? And we did that. So, like, I got a little skills, just a little bit, right? But we had fun, and everybody, I think, had a, a really good time. There's always some people maybe that don't enjoy it, or they, they're not real big on your wedding, but that's okay, because mostly everybody there is, to, is there to celebrate your wedding, your day, your time, your commitment to, to each other, right? And so weddings, receptions, is a big party where we get to have a lot of fun usually and get to celebrate that together. And today we get to look at a wedding feast and, and that a king is hosting for his son, but it's not all happy as we think it should be. And so until we get there, though, I, I also wanted us to think about some maybe weddings that we've experienced um, from a community standpoint, right? In America, there's always so-and-so got married to so-and-so of Hollywood stars, right? That happens like 10 times before they die, right? I mean, that's just their life, right? We just know they get on a movie set and they fall in love. And rich, by the way, they got in love in real life, right? And so, so that happens. But in our world, I was thinking about the um, prince and princes 
of England that we've got to experience. Like uh, Charles and Diana, right? In this picture, you can see, look at all the people that came out to uh, be a part of their wedding. It was estimated that 750 million people watched or listened to that wedding when they got married, right? At their wedding, think about this, dads, they had 3,500 guests. Could you imagine paying for that many guests? That's a lot of moolah, right? Good thing it was on the UK people, right? Not us Americans, right? Um, but, but it was a big celebration, a big party that everybody wanted to be a part of, mostly everybody. Well, guess what? Her son, Prince Charles and, and, and Princess Diana's son, William, when he got married to Kate, right? Similar picture, lots of people, all the royalty and all the stuff that goes with it. An estimated two billion people watched that wedding online or on TV or in some form or fashion, right? Now, here's the catcher. They didn't have as many people attend the wedding. They had 1,900 people attend it. But two billion people estimated to watch that wedding. Now, let's say that you get an invitation to go to that wedding. Are you going to say no? You would? Simeon would say no. I would probably say yes. No offense, Simeon. But just because, that'd be an honor, wouldn't it? It'd be an honor to be like, hey, hey, the prince and princess thought that much of me that I get to go to their wedding. And I've never seen what the inside of a real castle looks like. And so I would love the opportunity to do that. Now, maybe in America, let's put it in America, maybe if the president, maybe if he invited you, right? Regardless of the, off, regardless of the person in the office, um, you may agree or not agree with them, would you still accept the invitation, right? <laughs> oh, you guys, you're a bunch of jokers, jeez. I would still go. Even if I don't agree, because it's an honor. I respect the position more than I respect. That, right, then just the, maybe the person that holds it because that's who God has ordained to be in that position. Whether we like it or not, the book of Job tells us, right, that God sets up and sets down the rulers of the world. So we have to be cautious in how we deal with those things because God has put them there for a reason. We don't know that reason. We may never know that reason, but God has allowed them to be in those positions. And you look all throughout the Old Testament, you see that, that God put different kings over Israel for reasons. And so, we respect the, the, the position, and I would, I would love to have the honor, right, to see the White House and to see it in maybe some magnitude that I've never been able to see it before. And so I, I would love that opportunity. And as we look at this king, the invitation uh, may come to be come some of our responses today, right, and how we may interpret or not interpret this, right? Before we get there, I want us to do a little overview. Now, in Matthew chapter 22, that's where we're going to be at in the first 14 verses most of the day. The chapter before it, in Matthew chapter 21, there's a, two parables that Jesus tells before this. Towards the end of the chapter there, the parable of the two sons and the parable of the tenants. And here's what happens. In those two parables, Jesus is saying the same thing that he says here in the wedding feast. And it's a warning. It's a warning to the religious leaders of the day and how they have treated not only the people in that time and that day, but how they have acted throughout history and how they have misled Israel in a lot of ways. So these three um, parables go hand in hand together. A trilogy of three, kind of like Star Wars, right? The Return of the Jedi. It's the final one. It's the final blow, right? And, and Jesus is making his point and he's driving it home. A one, two, three knockout punch. 
But before we get to the word, before we open up Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, I just thank you. I just thank you that we get the opportunity to come together, to hear you, God, to love you, and to sing to you as we do. Lord, I just pray that as we hear your words today, not mine, don't let it be anything of me, God, but let it be of you. Let us be reminded of your grace and your goodness each and every day. And Lord, as we read this parable, as you then in that day directed it toward the religious leaders, God, let us take from it what you'd have us to take from it. Let your spirit teach us in our hearts and our minds to lead us, God, um, to do as you called us to do. And Lord, to follow after you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak and be able to communicate as I do. But God, I just pray that there be none of me, again, and none of me, Lord, and all of you. Lord, that there is a seat at the table for each of us. But God, we just have to do one thing. God, help us to do that. Give all the praise and glory. Amen. Amen. All right, let's open up your Bibles or the Bible app or whatever you're using this morning um, to Matthew chapter 22. It'll also be on the screen. Um, And we'll begin in verse 1 here. Verse 1, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murders and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So so the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king, king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. All right, so <clears throat> I have to be honest. This is kind of a difficult parable because there's a lot of different things. Some scholars believe it was two parables, and they kind of they go hand in hand a little bit. Um, some, some had variations of what it meant. But one key thing that most of them agree with is the fact that these this parable is really directed, like the other two, to, to the, the religious leaders of the day. Now, as we walk through this, I think we have to, we're going to have to understand a few things. Like in verse 1 and verse 2, Jesus, again, telling a, using a parable, right, a, a story to illustrate a spiritual point, right? Jesus says this, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Okay, now, that doesn't mean that this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, that doesn't mean that's what heaven is like. It means this is what heaven should look like on earth, okay? The kingdom of heaven is like a king. And so Jesus is using this metaphor as such to explain a spiritual truth, to explain in this parable some history and how individuals are treated and how the outcome um, plays out here. So uh, let's keep reading there. The kingdom of heaven 
It was like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So we also get this picture, right? King, we can associate that with God. We have the son, who is Jesus. And so now we know the characters here, the kingdom of heaven is like a king, God, who has a wedding banquet for his son. In the book of Revelations, we get to read of the story of the marriage of the lamb, right? Who is the son of God who gets to marry his bride, the church, the bride of Christ, right? And so that's this picture that we're seeing here. And then in verse three, we read this. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Now, here's a question. Why did they refuse to come? Doesn't say, did they not hear? Maybe they didn't hear it. Maybe, maybe the heralds that were out, were out and about in the street corners and saying, hey, the king is having a wedding feast. All should come. All who are invited need to come. Maybe, maybe they didn't hear the invitation, right? And so here we're just kind of left that they just didn't come. They refused to come. Why? We don't know why. So then we proceed on. Then he, in verse four, then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calves have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So again, another um, round of servants going out and telling them that it's ready. And here's their response. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. So now, I think we can look at this from a historical point of view. As we look through the Old Testament, we get to see a picture of Jesus, or God, in, those, in, in, in the Old Testament, sending individuals, right, to the people of Israel. Because what has Israel done? Time and time again, what does Israel continue to do? Anyone? Simeon? Rebel against God. They continue to do that. So God sends what? Judges and prophets, right? He sends different individuals to lead them back into repentance and into uh, um, surrender to God, right? To surrender their lives and their, their, the kingdom of Israel to follow after God. We see it through Moses. We see it through David, right? We see it through the judges. We see it through the prophets. Now, here's the funny thing is, so the, the, the Pharisees, they knew this. They're getting this, like, man, here's this king. He's sending out servants. Oh, we did that. We, we heard the servants. And matter of fact, some of these servants, we even killed them. Because some of the prophets that were sent from God to the people of Israel, some of them were slaughtered, right? They were slaughtered for what they were saying because people didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear the words turn and repent because they were so stuck in their own ways. They were so stuck in their selfish endeavors that they didn't have time to attend a wedding feast. I think this picture right here fits really well with our world because we're busy. Man, we're busy. We're busy doing this and busy doing that and busy doing everything else, but oftentimes it gets in the way of our relationship with God. Now, I don't think any of you guys are out there beating the messengers. I haven't sure taken a beating at all yet. Now, I might, maybe later. I don't know. We'll see. But but we, we're not out killing people yet, but our world's getting close, isn't it? If you watch the news at all, there are times when I wonder how long we're going to be able to profess what we believe, right? Because our world continues to clamp down and try to make things fair and just, right? 
like we talked about last week, but in the end, it's only fair for the ones in charge, right? So when comes the day when we may, as our belief leads us and guides us, have to pay that price? Jesus, God, in the Old Testament, had sent prophet after prophet, many of them proclaiming, turn and repent. You're wandering away from God. You're walking away from God. You're not living for God. You're not doing what he's commanded. And many of them were rejected, just toned out. Nobody wanted to hear them. Some even murdered and killed. And Jesus, you can only imagine the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day as they're hearing this parable being told, just getting furious inside. Because they didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. They didn't like the truth. They didn't like hearing the truth. Have you ever been there where you don't like hearing the truth? Somebody's calling you out and they're, they're saying like, hey man, you need to change this and change that. And you're just being challenged and you're just like inside. You're like, oh, I know he's right, but I'm so mad right now that they're calling me out on this. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've been there before. And so I can just imagine the Pharisees just sitting here stewing, stewing over this, that they, they know that Jesus is just calling them out. Look what you've done. And not only what you've done in the past, but what you're doing today. You're putting all these rules and all these regulations on the Jews. You're making them do all these extra things that weren't even in, in my commandments. And, and yet you still continue to heap them on them and make it difficult for them because you like the power and you like the authority that you've been given. But as we continue reading, king responds, right? In verse seven, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murders and burned their city. Now, this little section here in verse 7, some scholars believe that Matthew may have added this later after Jesus had passed and, and after he had witnessed the falling of Jerusalem, right? But maybe it was just Jesus foretelling what was going to happen because in 70 AD, Rome comes in, right? The Jewish uprising is trying to fight against the Romans and the Romans are just stronger in number and they just take out the Israelites, right? They burn the city, they burn and tear down the second temple. And so here we see Jesus proclaiming this, right, to the Pharisees and say, hey guys, there's going to be a time where this is going to be called to reckoning. Because of your rebellious nature, because of your wandering, there's going to be a, an end, a punishment to this. And so Jesus says that there in verse 7. And we see the king carry that out here in this parable. And then the king does it again, a third invitation, right? Said to his servants in verse eight, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. When I read that, there's a little bit of a holy fear that comes in. It's like, God, don't ever let me get to a place to where I don't deserve your grace. Because here we see these people had come to a place where they didn't deserve it anymore. And so the king says, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. 
So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find. And not just the good ones, the bad ones as well. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. See, there is an invitation that has been given, but that invitation at some point has an expiration. Let me say that again. There is an invitation that has been given, but that invitation at some point has an expiration. That expiration may be death. Right here, and these religious leaders, we're seeing Jesus point point to them clearly that, man, I don't know if, if we have the grace anymore because of what's happened and what you've done. I still believe they did. They could have turned in that moment and said that they believed in Jesus because we know, right, on the cross, when Jesus was hanging there, there was two criminals that were hung by him and one said, mocked him, made fun of him. I said this last week and the other one said what? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? But Jesus is illustrating this big point like, man, if you don't turn from your ways, if you don't turn from the wickedness that you have been living in, I don't know how the invitation can stand any longer. God, don't ever let us get to that point to where we don't deserve it anymore. Well, let me clarify that. As long as we're breathing, we have an opportunity to accept that invitation. But the moment we take our last, if we haven't taken that invite, the Bible's pretty clear, clear. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He's the invitation. So the hall's filled, right? The wedding hall is full of people. The king should be happy, right? He should be completely joyous now. Everything is ready. The food's done. The people are here. The room's full. The band's ready to play. But as he walks in, right, as he walks in, he notices one person. Verse 11 here. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. The man was speechless. Now, let's take a note here. He was the only one that wasn't dressed appropriately, right? He's the only one the king noticed that wasn't dressed in the appropriate attire. Everybody else appears to be dressed appropriately except for this one guy. So somehow he got in, right? Whether he crawled through a hole or he snuck through the front door, whatever he did, he got in. Now, you could say, and this guy could say right here, he said, the, the scriptures say he was speechless, but maybe he Maybe he could have said, like, well, you know what? Everybody was just in a hurry, and everybody was going through the streets, and they're saying, come, the king's welcomed you all, everyone, one and all, come on in, come on in. And I just, you know, I was right there by the door, and I just came in, right? But he doesn't even say that. He just remained speechless. There's nothing that comes out of his, mo- his mouth, no justification, nothing of why he is there in the wrong attire, but we also have to ask the question, well, what was the right attire? Everybody else seemed to know it. Everybody else seemed to come dressed appropriately, but did he not know? Did he not understand what was required of him? Maybe he didn't understand the culture. Maybe he was a foreigner. I don't know, but here's the thing. The attire that Jesus is talking about isn't really a dress that you and I would wear 
or a suit or a tux, because those are all surface things. I really believe that Jesus is saying here is that there is a garment that we can wear that only Jesus can provide. Because when you look at my soul, it's scarred and it's got marks on it and it's not pure and it's not holy and it's not righteous. But when I looked at Jesus and I look at Jesus, there's not a blemish on it. And so I believe that all the guests that have come, all those who have said yes to the invitation, those who are not the religious leaders of the day, as we sang that song, right? They're the beggars in the street, right? They're, they're the ones that are down and out that are just not into society, but they're everybody in the highways and byways. They've all accepted one thing, and that invitation is the acceptance of Jesus and his garment. And they don't have to worry about what they look like because he covers it all. So in this parable, we see this beautiful picture, right? Alarming for this man, but also as we accept this invitation, the gift of salvation, the garment of salvation, and how God gives that, uh, gives that to us to pay for that sacrifice for us. And then the king goes on, and then the king told that attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, I tell you what, you read that last uh, line there, even the, even the one before it, where he's thrown into where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's another reference in the Bible that refers to hell in that, right? But this line, for many are invited and few are chosen, I, it makes you kind of just get a little fearful, like, am I chosen? That word chosen means the elect, right? What's the elect? Is, is it just a certain amount of people that get into heaven? No, it goes back to the invitation. It does go back to accepting the invitation, but not just as a get out of hell card, but as an invitation that I'm going to trade my life for the price that Jesus paid for me. Because all I have to do is accept the invitation. And then all he's asked of me to do is to put on that garment of salvation and to follow after him each and every day. To be the chosen, to be the elect because he's offered it to all of us. But we all know that there are people, I know people in my own life, people in my own family who regardless of what we believe, who regardless of being raised in a Christian home have walked away and said there is no God. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. Now, are they going to hell? Again, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, right? But is there hope? Can they still receive the invitation? Totally. Each and every day, it's our job as believers to pray for them, to intercede for them, to take opportunities to lead them into a relationship with Jesus. But could they not Say yes to Jesus. Yeah. They could not say yes to Jesus. You know, we get, even myself, we get complacent in this, in the fact that, well, I, I'm good. I've got Jesus, and I go to church, and, and I do what I'm supposed to do, but We don't have that burden in our whole heart sometimes 
to where we look at the people around us. And if they don't accept Jesus, what's the outcome? They're not invited then to the wedding feast. They don't get to be a part of the party. And if we love them, man, how much more should we invite them? And not go overboard and just have them push us away, but to continue to be in their lives. To have opportunities day in and day out to tell them that, hey, I love you. Jesus loves you. And it may not be easy, and I can't explain a lot of things that happen in this world, but I know that God can help you through it. I know that his invitation is free, and all it costs you is to turn from your sinful ways and follow after him. For many of us that have grown up in church, this is a common theme, right? It's a story we hear over and over again. But yet again, the more we hear it, hopefully the more we do it, the more it becomes regular practice, right? My boys play baseball and we're hitting balls all the time and playing catch and we do all those things because what? Practice, repetition creates good habits or bad, depending on how you're doing it, right? Hopefully good. And those habits then produce an outcome. If we're never telling people about Jesus or we're just like, I've got Jesus in my pocket and that's all he is, then we don't have to worry about anybody else worrying about it. And we don't have to worry about maybe being a little bit of an outcast because you know what? Jesus is safe. He's in my pocket. But the thing is, in this parable, we're the servants. We're the people who have said yes to Jesus. It is our job and our duty to go out and to tell people about Jesus, to show them who he is. Because if we don't, who will? Sure, he'll find somebody else. It's not my job. No, it's all he's asked us to do. And it's a beautiful thing to go out and tell people that, man, I have a savior and he has done this for me. And because of him, I have hope. And as this world continues to dive deeper into hopelessness, I tell you what, God is gonna be a big deal because people are gonna need that hope. There's nothing else in this world that satisfies like Jesus does. And I tell you what, your testimony, your story, however small, is greater than any message or sermon on the stage because your experience and your salvation is for a reason for a purpose and that purpose is to share it with others it's amazing what happens when we're able to share our lives with others who don't know Jesus and I tell you what growing up in my home I remember my mom and dad sharing their life with people who never returned the favor They cared for people, they loved people, and those people sometimes would never love them back and leave. But they've done everything they can to continue to share that love. Kayla and I were able to move into a new home, and one of the biggest things that's been in my heart is I wanna share that home with others, to lead them to Jesus, Parker's friends, 
Camden's friends. Because we have a purpose. To love people when nobody else does. This world is only dog-eat-dog, right? It's only me, myself, and I, and that's all who I care about. And so, God, let us use the gifts we have to bless others and to invite them into a relationship with us. And then as we have that relationship with them, to point them to Jesus. Because I tell you what, Church is a thing we do to encourage each other, to build each other up, to have iron sharpen iron, to have this community together as a family, to rally each other up and to say, go out and do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Because guess what? Our reach, my reach, Chase's reach, Dan's reach, it's small. It's the circle that we're in, the circle that we're in. But your reach is the same. And each of us, as we go out in our circles, they get bigger and bigger and bigger as we do it together as a community of believers, as a community of followers, as servants of the King, proclaiming a feast that is coming and that an invitation is free. The food is free. The, the castle is free. Everything's free about it. All you have to do is point people, hey, it's that way. And Jesus is the son. And oh, by the way, guess what? He didn't just pay for the food and then just provide the building. No, no, no. He provided a seat for you at the table and one day you get to be called an heir of the kingdom of God because he loves you amen amen so let's bow our heads God just thank you God help us as we look at a way to invite others God I just pray that you just help us to do that. If there'd be anybody in this room that needs to accept that invitation or if you're watching online, then man, just in this moment, just take a second and say, God, I want to accept that invite. God, I want to be at the wedding feast with you and God, I want to lead others there too. God, help me to be a part of your party. It's that simple. For those of us in this room, I know it's hard sometimes because maybe we stumble and we have struggles and, and that's okay because the biggest thing is that his mercies are new each morning, that his grace is sufficient for me and for you each and every day. And the important thing is that, <clears throat> that we get up and we keep walking. And one day, whether it be on this earth or the next, God has already claimed the victory. And we may have to wrestle through the struggles we have. And God may allow them to be in our life for a reason. But God will never, ever forsake you or leave you. So continue to put on that garment of salvation. Continue to walk in his righteousness. Continue to read his word and to pray and to let the spirit guide you and lead you. And as you follow after him, man, he'll never, ever forsake us. And then remember, 
And this is the hardest part, that no matter how hard sometimes we may pray or ask or love somebody, that there may be some, and we may never know, but there may be some that never say yes and accept the invite. But God, break our hearts for them. Break our hearts that we don't forget them today and tomorrow and while they're still alive. God, help us to never stop praying for them, to never cease interceding for them. God, to never, ever, God, give up on them because you haven't. To also know that, God, that gift you gave is free. And they still need to receive it. And all we can do is point them to you, to the invitation. God, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. God, again, there is an invitation that has been given. But that invitation at some point has an expiration. And God, never let us see it expire. On all those who are around. Believing for a good, good thing, God. That we get to see a mighty move of your spirit. People saying yes to you. Accepting the invite that you've been given. And not because of what we're doing here on the stage, but because of what people in this room and at first service and online and the students, God, because of them sharing their stories and how you have changed their lives. And that because of you, there is hope. Because of you, there is love. Because of you, there is goodness. And God, because of you, there is grace. I thank you for your love. I give you all the praise and glory. Amen.